Busy Birds. Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Our guest today is the podcast host of Sustainability Defined and the founder of Ground Up Impact that makes environmental and social businesses ventures profitable. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Jay Siegel. How did your sustainable journey actually start? So my journey started in Denver, Colorado, in the U.S., where I grew up. And for those that aren't familiar with it, it is a city kind of right at the doorstep of the Rocky Mountains. So I was able to go up to the mountains year-round, get a sense of all the amazing things that nature and the outdoors had to offer. And then it was really, the more I would go out and be able to escape the city was like, you know, this is something very special that we need to protect because I just kept seeing it, you know, further and further developed upon. So that's what kind of stirred that environmental sustainability bug in me that I've been nurturing ever since. Oh, awesome. So about sustainability, you seem to be quite into this whole sustainability. You also have a podcast. It's titled, the name of the podcast is Sustainability (laughs) Defined. Correct. And you are hosting it with your on-air partner, Scott. You guys started like, what, like almost four years ago? Just over three years ago. So we're not quite our fourth birthday yet, but we will be Almost, almost. So what kind of drove you guys to actually pick up those mics and start recording? I think it wasn't, like I had been aware of podcasts at that time. I think it was still relatively young, but the idea, it, it was not so much like square one, let's start a podcast. Number two, what's it going to be on? It was a little bit more of, of the inverse. So at the time I was living in Washington, D.C., What I love so much about that city is that there were so many research institutions that would host free talks on any kind of topic. It was a very cerebral type city. And so I went to one on green finance. I was working in real estate finance at the time and thought, okay, you know, I'm I'm working in finance. I love sustainability. So this green finance should be very interesting and engaging for me. And not to say that the talk itself was not informative because it certainly was. But the issue that I found was that everyone, not only on the stage, but also in the audience was extremely, extremely educated and were using very technical types of jargon and speaking truthfully in a way that I couldn't really understand. And I'm sitting in the audience thinking like, I consider myself to be a decently smart guy and I I can't understand what you guys are saying in a field that I'm working in. This is a real issue. So that started swirling in my mind about how important it is for sustainability to be packaged and communicated in a way that is, number one, understandable, but then as an offshoot of that, engaging and and actionable at the same time. So I had those thoughts swirling in my mind, podcasts again were gaining steam. I had always had this like dream as a kid of of hosting like a late night talk show. And so all of a sudden it's like, all right, here's a technology that can kind of allow me to do that. And then around that time, I met my co-host Scott at a happy hour in DC. We hit it off, had very similar interests, and then 
developed this idea together and have been at it for just over three years. Well, if our crazy birds have not listened to your podcast, I highly recommend it. You guys basically take one topic and one bad joke at a time. And Correct. <laughs> so it's quite it's quite entertaining and they would also be able to learn quite a lot. So I definitely recommend that. So from this podcast, you grew into your latest venture, which is called Ground Up Impact. What exactly is that? That came out of a combination of a couple of different things. Number one was, as I mentioned earlier, working around a lot of financials and understanding you know, at the time in real estate, what makes a successful investment, You know, what it has to look like for the investors, and then what it has to do at a project level to make it viable in the first place. So that was number one. And then the second piece was direct experience with sustainability defined itself. You know, I think a lot of us podcasters have this circling question of, right, how do we monetize this project? Because, you know, it is something that is being listened to. It provides real value. So how do you do that? So I have always been driven by financial feasibility, really. That started, you know, back in my urban planning days where the stigma is, you know, urban planners can come up with the most beautiful, sustainable city ever, they they call it the pie in the sky, but if it's not if it's not something that can be actually implemented, and a lot of that implementation comes down to private markets and the way they view, you know, the way they build new buildings, for example, then it's not it's, it's going to stay a pie in the sky. We want to know how it tastes, right? The financial feasibility piece was very important to me, and so I was able to combine the experience with my professional work in real estate and then with the podcast to help other folks in this impact-oriented space understand how to make their projects profitable. Because a lot of times, and it's sometimes there's something of a you know misconception that you know there is a trade-off between sustainability and financial returns. I think it's it's true in some instances, not at all by any means. So the challenge is okay, how do we take a business venture that has you know, ideals of sustainability, of regeneration, of, of whatever it might be, and turn it into a functioning business to make it self-sustaining, if that makes sense. So that's kind of the background. So what that has evolved into is, of course, ground up impact where we make environmental and social business ventures profitable. And so just to tie that all together, a lot of times folks will come with ideas of what they'd like to do. You know, I'd, I'd try to keep some level of confidentiality with clients. But for example, one of my very first in, in this case studies up on the website is was around a cold brew coffee company saying, okay, we want to practice what we preach as far as sustainability. But what I'm able to do is translate what those goals are into what it looks like as, as far as numbers on a page. And if that makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, then maybe we need to tweak some of the way the business is is being set up to make sure that it is, you know, a healthy business once it's up and running. So that's that's the nutshell. And it's it's been exciting to see all the different types of ideas that come through and help them as best I can to to take off into into you know sustainable business territory. That's amazing because I feel in this current, you know, environment, if you've got an idea to kind of be more sustainable and to run your business like that, but unfortunately, if it, if it can't be a viable business, 
you know, the business not going to last. So it's better for everyone that needs your service and obviously for you to be able to sustain yourself through that business. So if you can maybe share some of the projects, I know it's like, obviously there's some client confidentiality and things as well, but can you maybe share with our crazy birds, like what is these type of projects that you typically would work on? Sure. And and so I can speak to this coffee example pretty, pretty well. And there's a great resource if if your crazy birds are, are interested. There's uh on the ground of impact website, there's a case study that that walks through this and includes a little bit of an interview that I had with Ross, who is the founder of this company called Jungle Brew. And so what that project was, which is reflective of of a lot of the types of ideas I see, is okay, here's a a product that exists today, but we want to do it in a slightly different way. So Ross is making cold brew coffee that tastes phenomenal that he actually makes, which is really impressive. And and he's actually based in London. But the idea is to make and deliver a product in a much more impactful way. So when I started working with Ross, he had the idea of what the coffee wanted to symbolize. We want to make this idea, we want to make this coffee symbolize what he called intrinsic impact that is empowering when you buy it, when you drink it, that you are having an impact greater than yourself. And so what that meant, and, and he is he is coming from a very kind of creative mindset. So he was able to explore different strategic partnerships and, and ways to position a product. But what I came in to help him with was, okay, how do we design your sourcing systems, your distribution systems, your packaging to make sure that we're walking the walk, essentially, that we're setting up relationships with farmers that are direct and sustainable, that we can see the direct results from. And that was actually an interesting point of conversation. Do we go directly through a farmer, in in his case, out of Bali, or through like a larger coffee supplier where there's a little bit more of a, a distant connection? So that was one piece. Number two, we're looking at packaging. How do we explore different models of packaging to make sure that this is as sustainable as possible. And and I will say one of the fun offshoots of that was exploring, we wanted to go with a quote, zero waste cup, which was, came in the form of an edible coffee cup, which oh, is a wow. fun idea. And and it's, it's kind of like this iterative approach, right? That you hear a lot with startups and, and it, you know, the idea was fun, but kind of to the ground up impact perspective here, turns out that you know, where he wanted to price his coffee, I think it was between two and three pounds per cup, the edible coffee cups were simply too expensive to to run. And so that's kind of getting into what I was able to help him think through. It's like, okay, so we want to embed these principles of sustainability into the business. But then, you know, what does it actually mean from a financial returns perspective? Do we have to, for example, you know, one of the questions was, if we want to pursue an idea like edible cups, to what price do we need to increase each cup of coffee? And is that too expensive from the consumer's perspective? So it was a lot of balancing of those requests that are of those ideas that helped us refine and, and get the business model that we actually got to. And so that's what I was able to help him create, you know, all the financial models and everything to know, okay, based on whatever these inputs are, if we are going to invest more in our packaging, that's maybe, you know, not single use was it was a big thing. Sure, that might cost more upfront, but relative to our value proposition to the consumer, which is number one, good tasting coffee, but number two, a larger social mission, does this make sense? So that was a good example of the types of questions that I go through with clients. And sometimes, you know, the, the coffee example is one. Another is is something that is, you know, in, entirely different. So for example, 
I won't go too much further than just kind of describing a rooftop garden concept, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily something you can like, you know, go to the store and, and buy. It's not like a regular, you know, consumer facing good, but same idea. How do we take what is going to be our product and make it, you know, appealing to our customers who in this case are a little bit different, but understanding what our costs are and what our returns are and, and how that relates to our overall business ventures health. Oh, cool. So thank you so much for sharing that. That was really insightful. And I definitely think there's loads of people out there that need some advice like this. So if you could just give like one tip or something, some advice for our crazy birds that have their own like sustainability passion project, and now they kind of want to turn it into a sustainable revenue stream. That's a really good question. And I think there are two things I'd like to mention. So number one, Seems like a no brainer, but truthfully, we didn't really have this in mind when we started the podcast, which is, you know, is there a quote, go to market strategy? Like, are you providing a good that people will pay for either in terms of their own time or their own money? You know, for example, podcasts are free, but you are essentially paying your attention to that. And, and so that's, you know, you're able to monetize that in the form of ads. So, so number one, making sure that there is actually an end market for the product you're delivering. But number two is being... And, and this is something that I've wrestled with, you know, with the podcast and with Ground Up, each in their own right, is understanding what exactly your, quote, expenses are. And oftentimes, the first idea when you think of what you're thinking about when you expend something or invest something into a business is in the form of money. But oftentimes, the other expense that goes along with that, but is equally as valuable as your own time. So what is important is to not get too caught in the weeds of investing too much time up front before you go to market with whatever your idea is. A lot of the literature now, as far as startups go, is kind of this, and I alluded to it earlier, this iterative approach where, you know, you take a product to market, gather insights, and then quickly go back and fine tune whatever the product is and successively improve the product. For example, I think Scott and I were, were maybe a little bit guilty of this, where we put in a lot of time, you know, tens of hours into planning what the podcast is going to look like, making sure that we had, you know, fully vetted all of the different categories we wanted to invest in or, or structure our episodes around. But really we learned so much more just in the action of practicing it and then being able to refine our approach since. And, you know, if listeners listen to one of our first episodes, one of our more recent episodes, they've changed quite a bit. So to any crazy bird that is exploring the possibility of, of launching their own passion project and turning into a sustainable revenue source, do not, I would say, put too much pressure on yourself in the beginning. You know, it's, it is a very test as you go type thing. And that's oftentimes how the best products get, get made over time. Awesome. Well, cool. And just on this whole like sustainability topic, you know, sustainability seems to be kind of this like hot topic and it's this trend and everyone's talking about sustainability. For me, it's great because I see more people getting into this. But then on the other hand, I see more people taking advantage of this. There is so much greenwashing going on. And that sometimes make that people that seems to be like on this, should they be sustainable? Should they not? When they get faced with these situations, they're like, oh, no, this is all like scam, like greenwashing. Like, I don't want anything to do with sustainability. How would we go about kind of educating people? So what what would your thoughts be on educating people? 
As far as educating people, number one is just talking about it. Knowing that greenwashing exists is extremely important. For example, one of the clearest examples I regularly see of this is the fact that any company can make up any type of symbol that has the color green in it and it connotes some idea of sustainability and put it on their website. You know, of course, there are like certification logos that you can add if you've actually gone through the steps of doing it. But for example, you know, company X can make a flashy little symbol put on their website and, and kind of define whatever they think it is, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually doing something to advance sustainability. So educating people is in and just talking about it is number one. But truthfully, you know, greenwashing is oriented towards you, the consumer. And it definitely takes an extra degree of criticism and, and critical thought towards that product. And, and honestly, a little bit of common sense too. I think one of the classic examples of greenwashing that I see is in the industry of fast fashion, which itself it, it, because so you know here here's the the way I think about it. It's like okay, a fast fashion company can go through the motions of saying okay we have reduced water use in our factories by twenty five percent and have that emblazoned on their website and and you as a consumer on the website see that and then immediately think okay cool you know this this means something to me but you know if you take a second thought and dive a little deeper you understand okay well fast fashion is in itself made with deliberately cheap and inexpensive materials that you know are delivered to you at a price knowing that you know they're not going to you know weather the laundry a couple of times it's it's almost like a not quite single use thing but but close to it and so if you as a consumer that is sustainability minded can think okay i understand that sustainability means durability means something that can last if something is being delivered to me at, at such a cheap price relative to whatever other quality goods I can buy that raises a little bit of a, a red flag. So, you know, the understanding being that sometimes sustainability or responsibly sourced delivered products can come at a higher price tag is something that we sometimes have to swallow. You know, sometimes you can't have your cake and eat it too. We have the most regenerative fast fashion sweater on the market and it's perfect. You know, that's yeah. not usually the case. So, the more we talk about this stuff and the more folks start to be more critical about their everyday purchases is is a way I think we combat this, truthfully. Definitely. And I mean, so you've kind of brought up like fast fashion and you've also brought up coffee. And that's one thing mm -hmm. that I kind of tell people as well. You know, if you compare a shirt's price with the price of a takeout coffee, you're going to treat it the same way as well. So you're just going to have this disposable, oh, you know, the coffee I can just get rid of, like this shirt's got a hole. Yeah, it goes to the bin, you know, so you don't have any value to it. And yeah. I think once you kind of pay a bit more for a better quality product, then you would also take better care of it as well. I think what you described, it makes me think of the clothing brand Patagonia, whose founder wrote an amazing book called Let My People Go Surfing. But that, I mean, that was their value proposition from the get-go. I mean, they they entered the market very aware that their products were more expensive than other similar types of products you could find on the market. But they are very clear about, we want you to buy this once and then use it for the rest of your life. You know, this is like a very, this is a product that will last you forever. And, and that in itself is far more sustainable than reducing water use and whatever other type of, like you're saying, single use clothing garment, you know, could have the, the difference 
when you when you draw it out over the course of the product's lifetime is is very drastic. Exactly. And I mean, if you compare the price, if you pay $10 for a shirt and you're only going to wear it twice, then it's literally $5 per wear. Whereas if you paid $100 for like a real proper good shirt and you get like 100, 200, 300 wears out of it, then, you know, what is kind of your price per time that you use it. So people need to kind of look at that as well. And that brings me to the next question. So we kind of touched on it, but how can we as individuals, as well as organizations, try and make more significant changes? I love this question because this is the topic of our latest sustainability defined episode, which is all on climate advocacy. So the first thing I'll say is that individual purchases that we make are extremely important. When I think about this question, I like to think about the biggest bang for our, not literal buck, but but collective buck, being you know, organizing in a way that makes systemic change. So for example, I, I came across a very stirring article recently that was published on Vox, and it's called, quote, I work in the environmental movement. I don't care if you recycle. Okay, and so it's, a, it's an attention-grabbing headline, but it is an extremely insightful article about, okay, where relative to, you know, the urgency of the problem and the scale of which people can actually make large scale change, where do we focus our attention? And so this author's point of view is, look, if you use a single use plastic straw and throw it away, that is not where it is most efficient for us to be investing our energies. What we should be doing is lobbying together to take on a lot of these special interests that are contributing to a very outsized percentage of our global carbon emissions. So I would say, you know, number one is collective advocacy, which we've seen have real impact of, you know, climate marches around the world. Greta Thunberg, who we talk about in that episode, who's who's set the bar extremely high for activists of any age, anywhere. <laughs> uh, but then number two, focusing on the right industries to, to really make a, a systemic change is, is what I would suggest to Crazy Bird. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, that episode was really cool. I absolutely enjoyed listening to it. You know, I feel that people also need to realize that we sometimes think, oh my goodness, how am I going to change this big corporate company? What can I do? Well, you can vote with your money every single day. Mm -hmm. So if you are not too happy with the packaging that a particular brand's products come in, well, don't buy it. If they see like, oh my goodness, you know, like no one's buying our products and we've got all of these complaints about our packaging, maybe we should change our packaging and try and see if that's going to get all of our old customers coming back to buy our products. So I definitely think we underestimate ourselves and we underestimate our wallets because in the end of the day, those companies care more about our wallet than they care about anything else. So if we take that away, then we are placing that vote. And, and to your point, these companies are more accessible than ever. You know, you can tweet at them, you can call them, you can write them an email. So if there's something that you care about, the ways to get in touch with them have, have never been easier. Exactly. I mean, there's so many like you see on Twitter. So definitely just reach out and people will kind of respond that brings me also to our next question, which is a topic that I know you are very passionate about. And my husband also studied transport planning or um, mm -hmm. so, so like I kind of always hear about all of this planning strategically. So when you have planning and you've got sustainability, 
it's something that's quite interesting. And we touched about it earlier in the episode where you kind of said, you know, it needs to be feasible. So here in Dubai, we are, well, in the UAE, we are seeing so many interesting things, you know, different communities. We've got our sustainable city. We've got Mastar City in Abu Dhabi. And we are going to host what's going to be the most sustainable expo to date with Expo 2020. So I think we've kind of set the bar high on what you Mm. can do when it's kind of from ground zero and you need to build Mm. something and you've got enough money to do something. But how would we have to go about when either planning new communities to be more sustainable or how can we assist existing communities or towns to become more sustainable? I'm happy you brought up the existing communities because one of my favorite sayings relative to sustainability in real estate is that the most sustainable building is the one you oftentimes already have, meaning that all of the energy and materials are already in place and the building is already functioning, meaning you can take it to become even more sustainable with more minor tweaks as opposed to starting from pure scratch where we're using more raw materials. So, so number one, I think placing an emphasis on existing cities is is very important. For example, here in the US, we have plenty of newer cities that are coming up on the western side of our country, you know, anywhere like west of Denver all the way through California. Much newer cities relative to cities like Boston, DC, New York. At the same time, New York City is far and away the most quote efficient city in the US relative to population size and transit networks. So for example, one person in New York City has so many ways to get around that city that use relatively less carbon than owning and driving your own car farther distances that it's a little bit of a, I guess it's it's not the way folks usually think of a sustainable city. You know, if, if one person in a busy city has ways to get around that maybe someone in like a greener, more spread out city doesn't, then there's a way that that's, you know, it, it considered to be more sustainable. So Along those lines, both existing and new communities, I think transportation planning is huge, like what you said your your husband is involved with. And myself, coming from an urban planning background, always like to talk about the benefits of public transportation, because when you install, whether it's in a new city in the UAE, or for example, here in Denver, where the city already existed, but then they essentially superimposed a public transport network on top of it. That helps incentivize folks to locate more densely, which means that we are using less previously undeveloped land. They call them green fields. So when I think about sustainable cities, it is maximizing the use of the land that the city sits upon without having to eat up more and more and contribute to this whole sprawl thing. So I love transit networks, I think. And and if listeners are, are located in a bigger city, you can very visibly see how development is attracted to them. Like here in Denver, you know, the the light rail system is is relatively new. I think it's been operational for a little over 10 years now. And just in those 10 years, you're able to see all of these new apartment buildings and condos and office buildings and storefronts locate directly along these lines. And it creates a more dynamic urban environment that for many reasons from a land use perspective is is far more sustainable than continuing to push our cities farther and farther outward. So the benefits that new cities have in places like the UAE is to be able to instill these transit networks from the very beginning and be able to give 
you as a dweller in that city the most options to get around you can, whether that's walking, taking a subway system, maybe it is a, you know, these newfangled scooters that everyone's riding around. Oh, yeah. But to sum that all up, I would say transportation is a very big component of sustainable cities. Awesome. Cool. Before I move into the more like standard questions, I wanted to check with you, is there anything that you feel like you still want to mention or add? I, I've listened to a number of your episodes and, and you asked very holistic questions that, that are able to incorporate different topics. So off the top of my head, no, I, I think what I would just share with your crazy birds just quickly is, is just kind of the way, if it's helpful for them, the way sustainability defined views different topics in sustainability, which is understanding. And, and like we've been talking about, you know, with these you know claims about greenwashing, any topic or like any segment of the economy you can look at with a sustainability lens. The key is not looking at what are called end of pipe solutions, which is kind of the example of reducing water in our fast fashion as an example, something that comes very much at the end of the production process that has an impact, but not quite as large, understanding the root causes of that. So, you know, what drives fast fashion in the first place? Are there ways we can address that root problem that would make those end of pipe solutions pale in comparison to the amount of good that we could do. So the last thing I would say is just when you're looking at the environment or the economy from a sustainability lens, understand what drives the patterns of behavior that have gotten us to where we are now, and then what we might be able to do to change those going forward. Cool. So our crazy birds need to like put on those sustainability glasses and look through that as well. And I think that will make things a bit more like seem that it it's, makes more sense then, you know, stuff isn't always just black and white. You know, you always have some other stuff in between as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you so much for that insight. I hope some of our crazy birds can actually listen to some of the episodes as well. Talking about our crazy birds, I'm just going to ask you one of the questions that we got on our Instagram. So crazy birds, I'm going to try and post if we've got guests on the show. And if you've got a question that you want to ask, hit them up right there and I'll try my Mm -hmm. best to incorporate. So one of the crazy birds is asking, so Joe from Dubai is actually asking, when are you coming to Dubai? What a question. (laughs) There is so much that I need to see in Dubai that I cannot wait to come see. Man, Joe, uh, I wish I had a better answer than that. I'm going to say I will give myself a goal of being there by the end of 2020. So a little over a year, year and a half, I will do my best to get there. I love the question. Maybe come and join us for the Expo 2020. A few more months to go. (laughs) Gives me just over a year. Perfect. Awesome. So, Jay, what has been one of the most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? I think for me, and this goes back to the early days you know, of both my interest in the environment and sustainability, was just being able to identify my own soft skills about just speaking with people. With, <laughs> of course, I trip as I say that. Speaking with folks in an articulate way and being able to use that as a way to advance this you know, critical issue around the environment. So I would suggest for any crazy birds out there, identifying their own unique strengths and then figuring out how they can tie that, you know, with their passions to help advance this this very important issue. And now we're going to move into our final five. The first one is what is one social media account or publication that you follow? My answer is The Onion. And the, (laughs) the reason for that is because it is very easy to 
be overwhelmed by heavy bad news in sustainability. And The Onion has a phenomenal sense of humor that helps remind me that there is there is reason to laugh out there too. So that is like an like the onion in an account and not you don't have a physical onion that you follow uh, around <laughs> in your house. I, yes. <laughs> I realize I should probably describe this. So so for crazy birds around the world, the onion is a satirical news source here in the US. Not to discredit what you know a red onion could do on my desk as I think about it and follow it on social media. <laughs> They they do a lot of political satire and then just good sarcastic humor in everyday life that is just very good for my own mental health. Cool. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? My hope is that humans understand the amount of impact we have on Mama Earth universally. And, and that entails putting aside a lot of partisanship that is gridlocked a lot of us, you know, around the world, especially here in the US, because truthfully climate issues affect both sides of the aisle just the same. So that's my biggest hope that we can put aside what oftentimes can become relatively petty stuff when we talk about the magnitude of changes to come and and more effectively address it across the world. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? What I've been trying to do, and this is something that that I found relatively easy just to do in my own life is just to order less online, especially the smaller stuff that gets brought to you in, in overly excessive packaging. So, so I've been especially wary of that. So if, if crazy birds like to do that, that'd be great. And if they do need to order stuff online, oftentimes you can, you can consolidate those orders so that it is multiple items per box, as opposed to just, you know, a single pencil being boxed in like the size of a shoe box, you know, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So that's a very small thing we can do to, to have an impact this week. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? What folks that are not yet attuned to sustainability tend to get when I share with them is that at our current rate of consumption, we consume twice as many natural resources as the earth can regenerate in one year. So understanding or or communicating that to them helps them understand how imbalanced our consumption is relative to what the earth can regenerate. So that's a good way to kind of open their eyes to thinking, okay, so maybe the models we're using now are are a little over-extractive. It it oftentimes opens the door to additional questions for them, which of course I love to be able to, to answer once they do. And where can people find you? So we've talked plenty about the Sustainability Defined podcast. Folks can find that at sustainabilitydefined.com. Ground Up Impact is similarly at groundupimpact.com. And then I'm on Twitter at HeyJSiegel and on Instagram as well, just with Siegel. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I'm sure our crazy birds have learned a lot from you. So just keep on doing what you guys are doing. You are such an inspiration to me. Mariska, you as well. I think we're doing incredibly important work. So congrats to you and and best of luck as you keep moving forward and, and crushing it too. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at mamaearthtalk.com. Follow at Design by Mariska on Instagram or email hello at mamaearthtalk.com. And let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about. I love hearing from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every Monday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.